It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Huge crowds are on the streets of the cities of Myanmar, Burma. They're the largest protests in more than a decade. The people are out to try and reverse the military coup which took place on February the 1st and which arrested and detained many Myanmar Democrats, including the country's most famous leader, Aung San Suu Kyi. In Myanmar, the armed forces have seized power. Troops are patrolling the streets and a nighttime curfew is in force along with a one-year state of emergency. What's next for Myanmar's pro-democracy movement? You're listening to Stories of Our Times by The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, a coup, the resistance and a tarnished leader. Just a warning, there are some descriptions of violence later in this episode. The ruling military changed the country's name from Burma to Myanmar in 1989, and their largest city, Rangoon, became Yangon. The name change was widely recognised, but some states, including the UK, also acknowledged that many in the pro-democracy movement still use Burma. This episode, we'll try and stick with Myanmar. Activists, politicians, journalists... The whole country, citizens, women, men, elderly people, everyone is united at this point against the military. This is Weiwei Nu, executive director of the Women's Peace Network in Myanmar. She's a human rights activist and a former political prisoner. Nobody wants to see a return of a military dictatorship. It's amazing. It's extraordinary to see the movement is growing day by day. This civil disobedience movement and everyone is so awake and so angry and so careful, but responding in a very smart way. Pictures from the country seem to confirm this account. The protest is growing. The civil disobedience began in those very first nights with a simple noise campaign. Pots and pens beating, making noise so that we drive the devils or evils out of the um, systems. Now there are nationwide protests with police using water cannon and rubber bullets against the crowds of demonstrators. They are not well coordinated among each other. However, you know, it's just started. So people are taking actions, whatever they can. 
campaigns are ongoing right now. At some point, they will all be united. Activists are trying to coordinate each other. People are so awake and they are taking actions, whatever they can. The anti-coup movement is highly active on the web, despite a military crackdown on online services. People are using BPM to organize again. A lot of them moved to Twitter since Facebook is banned. And now Twitter and Instagram is going to be banned as well. But I don't think it will stop the people's anger and protests. Weiwei Nu has followed the coup and the protest campaign closely because her life story is intimately connected with Myanmar's pro-democracy movement. When I was 18 years old, I was in college. I joined law school and then I was arrested with my father, my mom, my sister and my brother. Weiwei's family was a target because her father was a political activist and a close ally of now-detained leader Aung San Suu Kyi. He was one of the members among 18 members in a committee to call for parliament to take the power back from their military. The family are Rohingya, born in Rakhine State, where the majority of Myanmar's persecuted minority Muslim Rohingya population lives. I think the first thing I remember in my memory is my father's being taken away in front of me, arrested by the military and security forces. Because of her father's political activism, in 2005, Weiwei Nu's entire family was arrested and jailed. She was just 18 years old. When I was arrested and I was sentenced to 17 years, I was shocked uh, in a way that why I am in the prison, am I guilty of anything? You know, I was questioning so much. I was questioning about everything. And I lost even faith in everything at some point, but then I started to realize the repressive systems and military dictatorship and the corruptions and all of these things. Initially, it was really difficult to endure. Every single minute or second, I was praying for a release. I wanted to be released. I wanted to have a life. I wanted to have a dream and pursue a future. I was terrified to be staying in the prison for entire, like, adult life. In 2012, after they'd been in jail for seven years, an amnesty was declared and Weiwei Nu and her family were released. We couldn't believe it until we got home. So it was full of emotion, it was full of, you know, happiness, joys, and full of hope. Well, the hope that the country has opened up, the hope that we will see democracy and freedom, the hope that we will have peace, the hope that we won't face any more injustice or we won't had to go to the prison again, all of this hope. Those great hopes were dashed, for the Rohingya minority at least, when a campaign of what many see as genocide was unleashed against the minority, forcing hundreds of thousands to flee. Since that time, Weiwei Nu has worked tirelessly on human rights activism and advocacy from the US, and so was watching closely as the latest military coup unfolded. Although I am aware that we had 
schools in Burma and I read in the history, I hear from my friends and colleagues and my parents, this time is my first time experiencing a military coup. Although right now I am away from the country, I was following the situations very closely. When I hear the coup was happening, we couldn't believe that is real. It took two hours to confirm a coup was indeed underway, as reports emerged from family members of the politicians, leaders and activists taken away by the military. It was so shocking to a point that we couldn't even eat and sleep and even forget to drink water. It's terrifying. Disappointment, anger and fear. I was settling down at my desk with a cup of coffee, taking it easy, and the phone rang and it was the Times foreign desk overnight saying, there's been a coup in Burma. For Richard Lloyd Parry, Asia editor of the Times, the February 1st coup began with a strong sense of deja vu. Yeah, I mean, Burma's had, how many coups is it now? They had one in 1962, and the military stayed in power basically until 2011. There was a coup within the coup in 1988 uh, when one group of generals booted out another. And then there's this one now. Connoisseurs of coups might call this one a genre classic. The soldiers turned up before dawn. It was really the middle of the night. They woke people up. They said, you've got to come with us. It happened all over the country, not only to members of Aung San Suu Kyi's National League for Democracy, but to writers, artists. I heard there was even a famous reggae singer got picked up. So it had clearly been planned and was was well coordinated. They cut the telephones, made the internet difficult. They closed the airspace so, you know, no one could get in, including nosy journalists. And in that sense, it all went off pretty well, as far as a putsch can be said to go well, as they say, a bloodless coup. That, I think, may turn out to have been the easy bit. It wasn't a total surprise. There were strong, more than rumours, towards the end of last week, that the army were about to do something rather bad, to the extent that embassies in Rangoon, including EU, US, UK, etc., wrote an open letter appealing to the military not to do anything. On Sunday, the last day of January, they had seemed to step back from the brink. I, I think what was happening was that negotiations were going on behind the scenes between the Commander-in-Chief of the Army and the National League for Democracy. The National League for Democracy is, or was, Myanmar's ruling political party, founded and led by Aung San Suu Kyi. Senior General Min Ong Lang was trying to cut a deal with them and hoping to get what he wanted. And then those negotiations broke down and he gave up and, and sent in his soldiers. It's not very hard if you've got the guns and you've got the men as long as they obey you. What you've got to remember is that by their lights and their formulation, this wasn't a coup at all. They were simply acting in according with the constitution, which they wrote, by the way, in 2008, before democracy was restored. And one of the clauses in it says, in a dire emergency, the commander of the armed forces can take over. And this is what the commander of the armed forces has done, because not that he's hungry for power in its own right, oh no, he is reacting because of a a lamentably rigged election which took place last November. 
in which Aung San Suu Kyi's party ridiculously won 83% of the vote and the military party we humiliated and got only a handful of seats. Now, the, the, the army claims... I think without really believing it itself, that those elections were rigged against it. And the pretext for what happened on Monday morning is that they are taking action under the Constitution to put right this egregious wrong. Now, of course, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. What the Constitution actually says is that the commander of the armed forces can step in, but he has to be invited by the president. And the president was one of the first people to be arrested. So he certainly didn't give any invitation at all. I think their objectives are to maintain and protect their own power. And their power is not only military power. They also have many extremely lucrative and extremely crooked business interests. So they are a a very powerful, long-established business, as well as being an army. And that's what they're protecting. The Mr Big behind Burma's most recent coup is a senior general named Min Aung Hlaing. Myanmar's army, the Tatmadaw, is there for the citizens, as always. Citizens are the mothers, citizens are the fathers. The Tatmadaw always acts according to the law. He was due to retire this July. He turned 65. He's got to hang up his uniform. He has been sanctioned by the US government for his command over the armed forces during the the murderous ethnic cleansing of the Rohingya in Western Burma. Several international courts, including the International Court of Justice, are looking into his criminal responsibilities in that, arguably a genocide. It's quite possible he'll be charged. And he's also, for some reason, despite being a simple soldier, very, very rich. Um, And his kids have have big companies as well. How did he get all that money, we wonder? So he's got things to worry about on all fronts. And once he's a retired general, he's a lot more vulnerable. So the theory going doing the rounds in Rangoon is that he went into the election in November believing, apparently sincerely, that that he could win and be elected president. Um, He was humiliated in that sense. Humiliated because earlier this year, Aung San Suu Kyi's National League for Democracy party won in an election landslide. He then adopted a dual approach, which was A, to claim the elections were rigged, but also behind the scenes to demand and negotiate with the NLD for a position. I was told that Aung San Suu Kyi offered him vice president. That wasn't enough for him. He wanted either to be president or presumably to keep his job. He started last week saying, well, look, if you don't do this, we might have to have a coup. The NLD didn't believe him. They thought he was bluffing. And on Monday morning, they proved wrong. Restrictions to internet and phone access in Myanmar, Burma, have made interviews difficult for Richard Lloyd Parry. But he did get through to one key character. And he's a very spirited old gentleman called Win Tain, who I, I know from previous visits to Burma. And he is now the senior most member of the National League of Democracy not to be locked up. Win Tain is considered to be Aung San Suu Kyi's right-hand man and has spent many years in and out of detention for his opposition to military rule. Hello. Oh, hello. Is that U Wintain? Yeah. I-, I wondered if I could talk to you for a few minutes. I'm the only one outside. I am not arrested yet. He's the chairman of the party, and he's 80 and rather frail, and they haven't come for him yet. I Right. Because of my health condition... And what is your health condition, sir? The heart is weak. 
I may be wrong, but he seemed almost um, a little offended that, that he hadn't been arrested already <laughs> since so many other people had. But he has a, a, a great sense of humour and a very dark sense of humour. Right, right. It, it sounds as if you still have a lot of fighting spirit, though. <laughs> but he said, you know, this is just a, a naked lunch for power. I asked him, among other things, what the international community should do. And essentially what he said is that the country should be isolated. There should be sanctions, removal of diplomatic recognition or at least reduction in diplomatic representation in Burma and a cutting off of foreign aid. In some ways, this sort of feels like the Burmese military saying, we don't like this new game as much as we hoped we would, so we're just going to go back to the old game. I think that is perhaps the best way of understanding it. The the thing is, they wrote the rules. The 2008 constitution took, I think it was 15 years to draft and write. It went on forever. And when they came up with it, it contained all these, you know, grossly unfair stipulations, such as they get 25% of all seats in parliament before anyone's ever voted. They have essentially have a veto on changing the constitution. And Aung San Suu Kyi couldn't be president because of a rule they brought in that says you can't be a president if you have foreign relatives and her sons both have foreign passports. So they uh, wrote the rules. Um, they have enjoyed great power, you know, during this period of kind of joint civilian military rule. But they've decided anyway that they don't like it and torn up the rule book and gone back to square one. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Do you remember what it's like being in your 20s? I sometimes look back at that period of my life and laugh just as much as I cringe. If you do the same, then you've got to watch Queenie, the new original series on Hulu. Who is Queenie? Queenie is a 20-something year old living in London. She's facing all the firsts. First major heartbreak, first shitty apartment and soul-sucking job, first therapy session to work through those mommy issues. Can she turn her quarter-life crisis into a revolution? Maybe. Will she make some questionable decisions along the way? Definitely. All episodes of Queenie premiere June 7th, streaming on Hulu. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Can you give us a bit of a summary of the history of the pro-democracy movement in Myanmar? Let's take it back to 1988, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, that's where it began. There'd been a military government since 1962. 
you know, always cruel, arbitrary and paranoid. And in 1988, students and, and young people, young activists, began to mobilise against the junta. By coincidence, um, a young woman called Aung San Suu Kyi, who was married to an Oxford academic and living happily in North Oxford, was back in Burma looking after her old mum, who was in the final stages of her old age. She was dying. As well as being Burmese, highly educated and living in exile, Aung San Suu Kyi was the daughter of Aung San, Burma's great independence leader. And because she was there at the time to nurse her mum, she became involved in these demonstrations and she addressed and spoke to the demonstrators and gave them encouragement. And because of her parentage, she immediately moved to the centre of, of this movement. And she kind of discovered her political convictions as these events were unfolding and became the leader of this movement. The uprisings of 1988 were brutally suppressed. There were soldiers firing into crowds and people dropping dead in the streets. She was arrested, put under house arrest. The following year, the junta did hold an election and she was allowed to run and her party won overwhelmingly. The junta ignored the results and for the next 20 years, Burma was under their thumb. Aung San Suu Kyi spent most of that time under house arrest until the military in this sort of rather sly move, stepped back from power in around 2010-2011. The reason why Aung San Suu Kyi was propelled to the leadership was because of her father, and he still is a hero in Burma, a, a martyred hero, and he was the you know one of the founders of the Burmese Armed Forces, trained incidentally by the Japanese during the war. He managed to change sides at just the right moment, clever old Aung San. So they have had their moments of glory and honour, but they have certainly been washed away in the last 50 years of, of grey, brutal, junta drizzle. To put no too fine a point on it, Aung San Suu Kyi's international reputation went from hero to zero. I can't think of any other figure whose reputation has gone through such extremes. In 2015, when she led her party to her first election victory and was able to form a government, she was, I think it's not an exaggeration to say, one of the most admired, revered, respected people in the world, up there with Nelson Mandela and the Dalai Lama. People who, who knew nothing about Burma wouldn't be able to find it on a map knew about her, the thin lady with the flower in her hair, who was so brave. And then, within three years, that image had been shattered. Because of her stubborn failure to condemn, and even her defence of the ethnic cleansing of the Rohingya in Western Burma. To remind you, the Rohingya are the ethnic group Weiwei Nu belongs to. To the extent that she actually went to The Hague and, and personally you know, defended her government against proceedings taken against it there. Can there be genocidal intent on the part of a state that actively investigates, prosecutes and punishes soldiers and officers who are accused of wrongdoing? Although the focus here is on members of the military, I can assure you that appropriate action will also be taken against civilian offenders in line with due process. There will be no tolerance of human rights violations in the Rakhine or elsewhere. And they have always 
been uh, oppressed and, and discriminated against, really, certainly since the Second World War. They're not regarded by the rest of the country as, as being Burmese nationals. Most of them are stateless. They have no passports or, or nationality. And they've long been discriminated against in employment, education, marriage, healthcare and the like. And, and this has flared up from time to time. But in, in 2017, there were small-scale attacks on border posts of the Burmese security forces by a rather ramshackle group of sort of Rohingya fighters. And this was taken as the pretext for a, a massive retaliation. The clearance operations resulted about one million Rohingya to become refugees in Bangladesh, and thousands of people were killed. Here's Weiwei Nu again. Thousands of women were gang-raped by the military, sometimes by multiple military, in front of public, sometimes in front of the family members, parents, husband, and children were killed and thrown to the fire. Uh, all of these atrocities occurred in about 400 villages. One million Rohingya are living in Bangladesh, and about 600,000 Rohingya remain in Rakhine state, living like in open prison conditions. About 150,000 are in internally displaced person camps without having adequate humanitarian or basic needs. And the remaining Rohingya outside of the camps are also living in a conditions where they have no freedom of movement. What does that mean is they cannot travel from one village to another village or one city to another city. They're basically under arrest within their own village. This persecution's ongoing, although the UN Human Rights Council, UN fact-finding missions on Myanmar and many other international human rights organizations as well documented the crimes that committed against the Rohingya as crimes of genocide or crimes against humanity in Myanmar. And still this military remain free and not held accountable yet. And this is the very same military who conducted military coup on the February 1st. Still today, the suffering of the Rohingya continues. Aung San Suu Kyi had certainly not given the orders for it, but she was someone whose entire career had rested on her defence of powerless people against oppressive power holders. So everyone was entitled to assume that she would regard this as an outrage, and she didn't. She wouldn't be drawn on it, she wouldn't say anything about it. She proudly defended the armed forces. But there are also people who say, you've got to understand the precarious position she's in. She can't go criticising the military, because if she did, they might rise up and chuck her out. This week, I have to say, that argument is looking a lot stronger than it did. You could turn that argument round on itself in a way, couldn't you? Which is to say, the moral high ground here was just opposing a genocide. It wasn't as if it was some kind of arcane, tricky point. It was pretty big. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right. I mean, despite what's happened this week, I'm still not sold on that argument. And the other thing is, I mean, you can talk about Damocles' sword, but, you know, all those years she was under house arrest, I mean, Damocles' sword was on her neck, you know, I mean... 
She wasn't taken out and shot, but she was locked up. She was completely isolated. She wasn't able to see her husband when he was dying. She wasn't able to see her sons. She still doesn't really see them. Uh, I mean, she suffered about as much as you can suffer without being physically tortured and killed in the name of moral principle. So it still doesn't quite make sense. As you can imagine, it's a betrayal that Weiwei Nu and her family felt terribly. All of these things make us heartbroken, not just for the Rohingya, for many other communities. And we will never uh, forget or forgive about this. And she should be held accountable for this, her failure, omissions and commissions. However, we don't think she deserved to be detained against. And the people of Burma voted for her and she should be the one leading the country. I am a Rohingya woman, but I am also a human rights activist, a peace builder. I stand on the principle, not just for my community, for every community in Myanmar and everywhere. We ultimately want to see a fully democratic country where everyone's rights is uh, secured and granted and everyone's human dignities are respected. To witness this coup, it's terrifying for the country, for the people of Myanmar, for everybody. People of Myanmar, regardless of who we are, which ethnic group we belong to, we deserve to live in peace. We deserve to have a full-fledged democracy. We have lived under military dictatorship for so long, and we don't want to go back to that military system anymore. I am terrified for entire country as well as for my own community. I can see ethnic and religious communities are more vulnerable in, under military dictatorship because this is the very same military which committed genocides against Rohingya, crimes against humanity, against former students and even monks and other ethnic communities. As protests in Myanmar intensify, so too do calls for the release of Aung San Suu Kyi and other political detainees. She has never lost her support in Burma. If anything, it has grown. The love that people have for her goes beyond the political, goes even beyond the personal. In some ways, it's almost religious, the kind of cult-like adoration that people have for her. That is not going to go away. The generals, you hope they realise that, they should because they have experience of it. But the big story, I think, in the coming uh, you know, weeks and months is going to be how that feeling and how that, the frustration and anger manifests itself. I asked Wintain, the NLD leader who's still at liberty, what is the strategy now? What's the NLD going to do? And he said, peaceful resistance, civil disobedience. We are not anything or anything We what kind of civil disobedience do you have in mind, sir? Well, we have to copy Mahatma Gandhi. Thank you very much. I, I hope I can stay in touch and I wish you all good luck. <laughs> I need it. Just days following the coup and following Richard's interview with him, reports emerged that Win Tain had been arrested at his daughter's house in Yangon in the middle of the night. One question is how long will Myanmar's military leadership maintain the fiction that they're acting in accordance with the law and the constitution? Ridiculous though it is, there are advantages to them in 
keeping up that pretense. I mean, Western governments, you know, Europeans, the North Americans, are not going to believe it. But there are other governments who are inclined to be more forgiving of dictators. China, for example, some of Burma's own neighbours in Southeast Asia. And it will be easier for them to put a spanner in the works, for example, of imposing sanctions, if there's a, you know, at least a, a sustainable, consistent, credible pretext, however silly it is. However, one thing they would need to do to be credible in that claim is to release prisoners, including Aung San Suu Kyi, because if they keep her locked up, no one's going to believe them for a minute. But if they let her go, then she's going to do what she's always done, which is be a right pain and be a focus for national opposition to their dictatorship and a symbol of democratic struggle. According to Wei Wei Nu, the safety of those now protesting in Myanmar depends on whether or not the international community pays heed to what's going on. Myanmar military is well known for attacking protesters in the past, in the history. We don't want to have that again. So that's my first priority at this point. The international community need to take immediate action to impose sanctions against the military and military businesses is crucial. General economic sanctions may hurt people of Myanmar, but targeted sanctions against the military and military businesses will only hurt the military. And that is why it is essential. They can only sustain if they're economically empowered. I'm insisting on a strong international action, not response, not condemnation, not statement, but action, because I can see military has prepared this coup for a long time, and it is not going to stop in one year. This year, it's harder to have faith in the, you know, the onward march towards enlightenment, especially in Asia. Here's Richard Lloyd Parry again. It's not just Burma. Hong Kong has seen very grave and depressing setbacks to its freedoms in the last two years, as has Thailand in, in the last few years as well. Over the years in Asia, I've covered a number of dictatorships. Generals and people who seek to monopolise power will always pursue that drive in their own self-interest. But the drive in the other direction, the political drive based on democratic principles and human rights principles, is also very strong and is almost never quelled completely. You may tamp it down, you may overcome it by force, but you can't keep it bottled up forever. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Asia editor for The Times, Richard Lloyd Parry. Also, executive director of the Women's Peace Network in Myanmar, Wei Wei Nu. And you can read more of Richard's coverage at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producer was Leona Hamid, the executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Carla Patella. And if you have a story you think we should be covering maybe an idea for a future episode, or just thoughts on what you've heard, you can send us an email by writing to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon.
Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. History. 